I'm Joe Forish, and this is You Say Data, I Say Data Podcast. We talk about data, analytics, and its impact on business and society. We are the podcast for the Analytics Impact Network. Please visit us at analyticsimpactnetwork.org. Have you ever wondered how technology can make healthcare more accessible and equitable to everyone in America? What are entrepreneurs and investors doing to further advance the use of digital health? Why has healthcare been traditionally slow to adapt to the use of technology? My guest today is Justin Norton. He is a partner at GSR Ventures, where he focuses on early stage investments in digital health. Prior to GSR Ventures, he was CEO and co-founder of Trustworthy AI, which was acquired by Waymo. Additionally, he worked on the healthcare team at Apple, co-founded Indicator, an NLP-based platform for biopharma decision-making, and helped start the Stanford Center for Digital Health. As an academic, he is an award-winning machine learning and bioinformatics researcher with 20-plus publications. Finally, Justin is a former professional athlete and three times world champion in Ultimate Frisbee. Justin received his MD from Stanford University School of Medicine, MBA from Stanford Graduate School of Business, Master of Philosophy in Computational Biology from the University of Cambridge, and BA in Computer Science from Carleton College. Hello, Justin. Welcome to the show. Great to be here, Joe. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You have a very incredible background. And I would like to know, in terms of your life and journey, how you've arrived to where you are today. Absolutely. Well, like most people, I just feel incredibly lucky to have gotten through a number of different experiences. But I'll, I'll try to draw a nice line here for, from the beginning. I grew up in Seattle from a family of physicians, but also kind of in the backdrop of seeing what is really possible with technology from companies like Microsoft. What could someone build from scratch to really transformational scale around the world? Fast forward a few years, I studied computer science, I studied computational biology, mostly as just something I thought was interesting and fun. You know, I was a nerdy kid who wanted to build my own computer, see how things worked, you know, like like other engineers, but always figured I was going into medicine as just this incredible place where you can have impact on patients and really just improve the lives of other people. So went from that background where I was studying machine learning to uh, med school at Stanford, where I completed my medical training, where it was this incredible point of minds and interests for what could the future of medicine look like. And, you know, my interest was how could we take technology and take these tools and methods I learned and really apply that to transform how medicine worked. And I think what shocked me, you know, when I was doing my medical training at Stanford was things are practiced more or less the same way they were decades, if not centuries ago. The same way we kind of talk to patients, gather information, and technology was barely a blip in terms of interacting and changing that patient outcomes. And so as I continued on, I kept jumping out and taking detours to a few other areas and a few other opportunities. First detour was jumping out. We launched a center for digital health at Stanford. We were doing some of the first telemedicine visits out of Epic. We were seeing how much could we do from the telemedicine perspective or in different ways. 
we're starting to look at new technologies. What were these digital health companies doing? How could they interact within the Stanford Health ecosystem? From there, I ended up you know, getting convinced to do an MBA as well, as people kind of convinced me, hey, it's not enough to write the paper and publish the result. If you really want to translate this and to impact on people's lives, you're going to have to go a little bit farther and see on the business side of healthcare as well. Ended up jumping to Apple on the healthcare team, getting to spend some time looking specifically at some of our women's health initiatives. What research did we need to do and kind of what products and features would we need to launch to really make an impact? And then eventually, kind of, you can't spend that long in the Silicon Valley ecosystem without having to try your hand at a startup of, of your own. So, started a couple companies, but one of which around algorithm safety and trust. We were kind of prove where and how algorithms would fail. Pivoted out of the medical device space and focused on the autonomous vehicle space, and ended up selling that company to Waymo. Fast forward all the way to today, you know, I've been at GSR Ventures now for almost four years, where now I'm focused on working with early stage founders using technology to fundamentally change how we're delivering care, tying all the way back to kind of those roots in Seattle and what I wrote my you know personal statements for medical school about and just gets me so excited every day. That's really incredible and a fascinating story. Thank you very much for sharing with us. You mentioned along the way that you were involved with a few startups. Can you tell us a little bit more about those? Yeah. So one, one startup uh, initially that I was thinking about was how do you just organize healthcare data, you know, to make better decisions in science? So this was a company called Indicator, where we were kind of gathering what public data we could and put it together to say, okay, what is the right, if I look at thousands and thousands of rare diseases, what is the right piece for where is the current state of the science? Where is the current state of, you know, patients? And is there an opportunity to build something here? Overall, this was, you know, relatively put on pause. We Initially, learning about commercialization did not get very far, you know, didn't really think through all the customer journey and things like that. And so eventually focused and shifted more of my time towards a company called Trustworthy AI, which I mentioned where we were trying to prove and show where and how algorithms would fail. And so we had you know, taken a very academic approach at first, started and you know, published papers, work, started to have conversations. So for example, in an artificial pancreas. How do you kind of push the system towards failure and show exactly where, hey, maybe you gave too much insulin and the patient might have a bad outcome? And so we're able to kind of show that we were able to do this, but found that selling this was extremely difficult. But the same core technology, kind of the underlying math, actually had much more applications to other areas as well. And so we found a lot more traction in the autonomous vehicle space where people were using simulation and other tools to want to know, hey, how safe are these algorithms? Where and how do they cause crashes? Where and how do they cause failures? And as we kept that journey, that was just where we kept getting more and more traction until finally deciding to to partner and then sell the company to Waymo. So even though the first iteration of the company was far different from where it ended up, it sounds like the common connection was the underlying math and the algorithms. Is that correct? Absolutely. Wow, that's remarkable that you could start a company on one end of the spectrum and then have it come out something totally different on the other end. That's remarkable. It's the you know, interesting journey of kind of being a startup founder is, you know, obviously working hard and believing something and pushing at something, but also being flexible enough to say, hey, where are we? What walls, walls can we run through? And what where are we getting pulled to go somewhere that actually wants what we're doing? And it's always a balance, but we were lucky enough to be able to make that transition. 
Wow, that's incredible. That's a great story. And then it sounds like after that, you've then made your way into the venture capital world. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things you see in this area and we bumped into, you know, as founders is, okay, you know, who are these venture capitalists? What are they, what are they doing? You know, what, what is their role? And, you know, had met the team at GSR Ventures even kind of years before, you know, it's a very, very long-term, long-term industry and, you know, had, had met the team there, thought they were super bright. And it was a team of physicians who had backgrounds working and running their own technology companies. And then, you know, with interest in saying, hey, how do we partner and build the next generation of health technology companies, you know, that will make all these changes that I was excited about at the time. And so, you know, I ended up getting connected with the team and, you know, what slowly turned in from a breakfast into spending some time into, you know, working there full time and really just kind of fascinating and just unique team where I get to work with other physicians who care about the science, care about the clinical outcomes for what's happening in digital health, and then care about, okay, what is truly transformative technology to change how we're delivering care? You know, lots of interventions are mm-hmm. 5%, 10% better than the status quo, but we're really focused on what is something that's 2x, 3x, 10x or more, more effective. And, you know, focusing and trying to be disciplined about looking at technologies like that. Wow. So really trying to invest in companies that are making a very, very big difference in what it sounds like a relatively short amount of time. And there's clearly a lot of trends that are going on right now within the investing world. But when it comes to digital health, what are some of those trends that are popular right now? Yeah. So maybe the one tiny correction I would say is, we don't necessarily believe that they'll all happen super fast. We're, we're practical in that, especially in healthcare, I would say, compared to other avenues in tech. In healthcare, it probably takes longer than most other similar sectors. You know, you can't launch a healthcare app and have it grow like TikTok, you know, and all, all of a sudden of go around. But how do we play in the technologies that will become important? And so to your question on, on trends, you know, I think one of the trends that is really exciting us in healthcare and has really grown over the past few years is just where can AI truly, truly make a difference? You know, I think if you go back a number of years, people were talking about another venture capitalist were saying, AI is going to completely replace doctors, take them out of the equation. Do you want a below average doctor, you know, treating you? Why not use software and, you know, take them out of the loop completely? And fortunately, I think that trend and our by our opinion is that trend is dying down. Instead, you know, what we hold and the trend is more exciting is how will AI augment what doctors are doing, keeping doctors in the loop, but automate so much of the peripheral documentation, slog of administrative duties, maybe simple patient queries, or even kind of get you to what you really need to do where you're actually making a medical decision and not just the other things that are too simple. And so what we're really seeing is kind of how much can AI take? Yes, have a doctor in the loop driving driving and ultimately making the decision, but can an AI help get you 80, 90% of the way there so a doctor can more check this? So actually, you know, wrote a paper on the idea of what can we learn for healthcare AI from the field of autonomous driving? And I think there's a lot of good parallels as we move from, you know, no assistance whatsoever, which is where cars, you know, level zero a few years ago mm-hmm. to, hey, can we do cruise control? And set, you know, a certain speed and, you know, hold one parameter constant, but still keep the human responsible in the loop taking action. 
to level two. Let's do cruise control and lane assist, keeping you where you need to be. Again, the human responsible driving. And that's where I think I'm personally more excited to see healthcare AI interventions go, where the physician will ultimately be making the decision, but they're going to be aided and augmented by all these tools of AI. That sounds really incredible and a great, great way to go about getting better healthcare, better solutions for everyone. I hope so. And I love that you mentioned that everyone word, because I think this is one of the tragedies in the current healthcare system. You know, we like to say we have the shiniest, best medical care, you know, go to any of the top research universities, look at the new gene therapies, new surgical robots, etc. But, you know, as an overall country, our health outcomes, we're leaving people behind. There's huge inequities in terms of care, access to care. And, you know, my dream, and I think one of the possibilities with technology, when the marginal cost of that, of that intervention, if it's software, is zero, or access to knowledge or the right information, all of a sudden, truly everyone can get access to care and take from what we know as medical knowledge and actually implement that in the real world. Yeah, I mean, that, that's even better. <laughs> the more and more you describe it, it, it just seems that everything is going to get better all around for everyone because we're using mostly technology, as you indicated, but using it in a way that gives access to that doctor that instead of him using 100% of his time, he's using it 1% here, 3% there, 5% there, et cetera, and really impacting a lot more lives. That's the hope. Okay, fantastic. And when it comes to investing in a lot of these businesses, what uh, sort of stage companies do you invest in? So GSR Ventures will do early stage, which we sometimes will be, you know, someone graduating, you know, from school with an idea, but usually we'll do seed through series B, meaning someone maybe has an initial team, an initial product, but is just starting to sell or just has those first few customers. And we really like to come in and say, okay, now that we have those first few customers, that product, how do we come in and really scale this throughout the healthcare system? So we'll write checks in the 500K range to the $25 million range where, where we'll, we'll like to play. Got it. Got it. And then in terms of any of these companies that you're currently invested in and working with, uh, which ones would you like to discuss? Happy to go through, go through a few here. So maybe one company kind of on the, on the AI side that I think is you know, really exciting is a company called Artisite. They're trying to build augmented intelligence in hospitals. Very much you know, the co-founder, Andrew Gosling, has a, also a physician and has a very similar viewpoint of the world of it's not that we should replace and get rid of all doctors, but how do we augment them with technology? So they're deploying IoT sensors, cameras, other AI systems within the hospital to take care of the boring things, right? For example, let's let's do hand washing detection. You know, these are new scores that hospitals are measured on that no one wants to do. We already have cameras, so let's make sure we're capturing that with AI. Another example, you know, if a patient is, you know, maybe delirious, you're maybe worried about them getting out of bed, falling, etc. You know, what hospitals will do is they'll actually sit someone called a sitter in the room watching the patient. One-to-one, a person right there watching the patient. One thing that's possible if you have cameras and a little bit of technology, rather than having one person sit there, let's have one person watch 30, 40 screens augmented by AI to flag who might be at risk of getting up and moving around, connect them to a speaker to say, hey, please don't get up or send a nurse or someone else in to go have an intervention. And so have kind of, you can really scale what one person is able to do, again, on these 
let's call it not critical decision-making clinical processes, but these other auxiliary tasks in the hospital. How can you have telenursing, teledocumentation for things that are happening and really just kind of augment what people are able to do and have people focus on the actual high quality clinical care versus some of these other tasks. So this is a company that we're extremely excited about. Yeah, it sounds cool. You're trying to get a lot of leverage, so to speak, through the technology. So a lot of these, they are important tasks, but it could be assisted and helps with technology quite a bit. And again, could free up so much bandwidth for hospital systems, nurses, doctors, offices, et cetera. Yeah. And especially in terms of the bandwidth that you mentioned, you know, telenursing, there's been a huge shortage of providers and you know, trouble, you know, filling nursing roles, you know, across, across hospitals, across the country. And, you know, if you can enable, you know, a telenursing role, one, it creates another kind of work option for that nurse to interact with their staff and with their team, but also just kind of, it creates so much more leverage where when you have that telenurse available, you can cut down documentation by, you know, 40, 50% and really let those nurses do what they want to do, which is, you know, take care of the patients rather than document and other things like that. Yeah. And that sounds really, really cool that it could free up so much time for people trying to help other people. Yeah. To give you another example, yes. a company called Alpha Medical is a company focused on you know, delivering you know, women's primary care, but do so through telemedicine and asynchronous telemedicine. And, you know, Gloria, the founder, she's a PhD computer scientist and, you know, thought, Women's health is specifically a you know broken area of the healthcare system, and we have to do better. And then is doing that same thing of how are we augmenting the providers at Alpha to take off all of the kind of tough tasks to make them much much more efficient. And what that unlocks is if you take the cost of a medical visit down from say a hundred or one hundred fifty dollars, if you can get that down to fifteen dollars, you know something etc. All of a sudden you're able to access patients who maybe don't have insurance and actually can just pay out of pocket to go see a doctor or get a prescription, you know, or something that they need or, you know, target, you know, Medicaid where the rates are different. They can't pay those same amounts commercial or other someone with better insurance could pay. And all of a sudden using technology to make these visits cheaper and far more efficient, you can actually reach more patients. Sure. And so it's just a, a great straightforward example. And especially with all the new technologies and things coming out, you know, that cost of a medical visit will just continue to decrease. Yeah. I mean, the economics are very, very favorable for everyone. And it, it, I feel like there's a very, very great theme here that access is being improved, cost is being reduced, and essentially just giving more access and care for people who really need it, who currently or in the past couldn't get it. Absolutely. And I think the interesting parallel that you bring up there is, you know, this is what technology has done in every other field, right? It's improved access, it's improved, you know, ability to connect, and it's done so at a far cheaper cost than before. And healthcare has really had these walls up, you know, and has really changed far less than other fields, you know, banking, financial services, otherwise. And so it's not that we're dreaming of, brand new technology that doesn't exist yet and that we're hoping will be invented. No, we're taking technology that exists today and applying it to healthcare in ways that makes sense. Yeah. So from from your description, it sounds like 
maybe healthcare has been a little bit slow or, or slower than other industries to adapt the use of technology? Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, poke fun at, you know, my provider colleagues and otherwise, but it is tech adoption has been healthcare is one of the slowest sectors, you know, across the economy. Hmm. And what insights do you have into that? Well, there's, there's a few reasons why, you know, when you start out in medicine, you know, you take that Hippocratic oath to do no harm and, you know, it is a more conservative field. You know, we, the mantra, you know, that some other tech companies have had, you know, move fast and break things. Mm -hmm. There's real costs, you know, if you do that in healthcare. And so there's, there's good reason why healthcare is a little bit more skeptical, sometimes a technological adoption and a little bit slower to try any of these new things because there's real measurable cost if something goes wrong. So you do want to be more certain. You know, people, uh, a lot in medicine, especially, you know, historically, it's you're trained as an apprentice. You know, the medical knowledge isn't even online, wasn't even accessible. And so people learned and how to treat patients like they learned in their residency training and kind of pass that on. Well, hey, this is the way I was trained, so I'm going to do it this way. And it's only in the past, you know, few decades as medical knowledge has really been available online available in completely new ways that, you know, we're breaking out of that apprenticeship model. And actually, hey, you know, a new study comes out, there's better ways to do things. It's clearly documented, this should be disseminated, and we should get a really change practice. And so historically, medicine has just been extremely, extremely slow to change, not even with technology, really for anything. But my hope, and my push, when the startups we're working with, and otherwise, you know, even doing things like this, is we can slowly move the field a little bit faster to say, hey, these technologies could really, really help a lot of people. So we need to keep an open mind. Yeah, I really like that approach. It's incredible. And hopefully it'll it'll move faster <laughs> than you hope and then you, than you think. Plan for the worst, hope for the best. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, when it comes to uh, investing in a lot of these businesses and companies, how do you really think about the ownership from you know the founder to the investors to the employees? How do you go through setting all that up. Yeah. So, you know, like in anything else, incentives are really important so that the team is, everyone is moving in the right direction from investors to founders and employees alike. So one of the things um, from a very Silicon Valley style of venture investing is, and at least our bias at GSR Ventures is we think the biggest and most transformative companies will be run and led by their founders. And so one thing that's really important is to make sure from an ownership and equity perspective that founders don't feel like employees. It's we've done something wrong if they feel like they're working for us instead of being partners with us and that they are the ones you know leading and running the business. And so a great way to make a mistake is to say, hey, we need to take 80% of the company because this is what it's worth and this is the financial economics and, and blah, blah, blah. You know, that's a immediate way to kind of kill a founder's motivation and not get what anyone's wants. You know, so from from our model and how we see it, we want to partner with these founders early, you know, and take a very much a minority stake in the business, sometimes maybe around 20%, a sizable enough chunk where, you know, I can spend my time and work with them in the trenches to go to hospitals, make site visits, figure out how we're going to do sales, figure out how we're going to do hiring, what we need from the technical product. What is the clinical study that we need? And so we can spend the time and be really partners for them. 
But I like to think about it when I'm making an investment for the company, do I want to work for that founder? So I kind of see it as the opposite way of, you know, am I signing on to help them and take the calls at whatever time of night or weekend, et cetera, and be a true partner and kind of building that business. And I would say the same thing applies to, you know, the key employees. You know, one of the key things in startups and, you know, what's really changed and kind of getting the employees willing to work, you know, the 80 hours a week in some cases and get so hard is to make them true owners in the company. And so making sure and one of the things, you know, we insist on is that, you know, startups have, you know, employee option pools and that there's enough equity that, you know, when they have early employees, they can give them a real stake in the company so that, you know, they feel like owners as well. And the outcomes are willing to put in the extra effort and really take it a little bit farther. And so, you know, I think it's one of the kind of beauties or even, you know, quote unquote, you know, inventions, if you go back to how people have thought about stock and options over the past, you know, 100 years or so, that's kind of really turned people from, you know, just an employee to a true owner in the business and what they're doing. I like your approach. It seems like it's a very symbiotic relationship and that everyone's a partner. You're from the investors through the founders through the key employees. And if that's not working for you, it's probably not the right combination for anyone that's involved. Yeah. And, you know, I think the other thing that's kind of interesting is, you know, venture, you know, we have a, you know, we get out there, we like to speak a lot, we like to find a lot of people, but, you know, venture backed companies are a vast minority of companies, you know, that exist in the ecosystem. And, you know, there's, we want to find the founders who truly want to shoot for the big outcomes. They don't, you know, want to build a medium or a small company because it's, we're, we're not the right partners for that. And so, you know, we really want to partner and that's why we use these structures and just find the people who really, really want to shoot for transformational change where then we're the right partner to work with. That makes a lot of sense. And in terms of partnering and investing, a lot has changed in financial markets over the past year. So how has that really impacted uh, your approach to finding businesses and investing in them as you know, things have been tough, for lack of a better word? Yeah. So, you know, I think, and it's interesting, you know, over the past few years, we've gone kind of on a wild ride, especially in tech from terms of valuations and money and, and what's been happening. And, you know, for the past few years, it was just up and up and up. Valuations were higher. You know, the amount of money raised was higher. Every, everything was up. And, you know, finally, you know, the global kind of macroeconomic environment took a turn and, you know, tech really, really had to, had to shift. So we've seen everything from layoffs from small companies all the way up to our biggest tech companies. And we've seen valuations correct quite a bit as well. You know, in digital health specifically, you know, in 2021, we had a peak year of around, you know, $29 billion invested in the space. And, you know, in 2022, that number was much smaller, let's say around $14 billion or, or so. $14 billion is still a hefty chunk of money. And, yeah. you know, it's still quite a bit more than in, you know, 2011, you know, it was around one or $2 billion. And so the field has grown, you know, we're not at the crazy peak we were in 2021, but us and other investors focused on healthcare technology are still incredibly excited about this space, still wanting to put money into the space. And, you know, our guests are more thoughtful about what valuations and things make sense. But, you know, we're, we're all here to stay. And if you, you know, take a little bit longer view than just the past couple years, but the last, you know, 
five years or so, valuations are just fine and incredibly healthy. Right, the valuations now today are still you know above where they were in you know 2018 or 2019, even from digital health. And so you know, yes, the immediate adjustment has been tough, and you know, will create potentially down rounds, flat rounds, other things for companies that maybe got a little bit of it out of themselves from a valuation perspective. But taking a step back and looking overall, there's still a lot of money that wants to go into healthcare technology. It's a great place to build. You know, we think a transformational business and. Yes, it's not what it was, but markets will be okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, the the space is very, very exciting. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of transformation. And as you said, from 2010 or 2011, the amount of investment was very, very small. And compared to today, it's quite large. So yeah, things are maybe down a little bit over the past year or so, but the overall trend is moving in the right direction to not only help you with your portfolio companies and your investments, but probably the whole overall landscape of you know, transforming, you know, what I say, we, you know, me, you, everyone else involved to really give access to have more of a mission at a lot of these companies and really help people in a more equitable and fair way. I think so. I think so. Well, that's fantastic. It's really remarkable uh, what you're doing. I think your background is great. What you're doing at your business is really remarkable. I wish you you the the best of luck as things go forward uh, with you. But before we part, I do have one question that I ask all my guests. Do you say data or data? I'm on the data side. (laughs) All right. Well, there you have it, everyone. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Justin. I really appreciate your time today. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks so much for having me on, Joe. Bye. Thank you for listening to You Say Data, I Say Data podcast. To become a member, sponsor, donor, or podcast guest, please visit us at analyticsimpactnetwork.org.